All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and get started tonight. Um, I'm going to uh, talk about uh, just kind of the interesting little side subject. This is, again, kind of the interesting uh, casual Bible study, if you will. Um, it's it, it involves a subject that, um, again, has a, a great deal of application to our lives, um, especially in the form of uh, what we think we know. And uh, we're going to take a look at a few passages, uh, not a, a, a great many tonight, but we're going to begin to see uh, some principles that uh, God lays out for us um, that really, as you meditate and think on it, it really develops a lot of humility in us as human beings. Uh, you know, this morning we were talking about the king of Assyria and his idea and his mentality that he thought he could challenge God, that he thought he was greater than God, that he thought he could beat God. And when we begin to think about that, we realize that uh, there are human beings that get to that point. Uh, they think that uh, they understand all and that they are the final source and final authority in all matters. And God makes it pretty clear that they're not, and they never can be. So we're going to take a look at some verses tonight, uh, kind of develop a little bit more about this principle. Um, and before we do that, though, let's go ahead and pray. We will get started tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for a time that we can come here tonight and uh, study your word, that Lord, uh, this uh, principle that you teach us uh, that very truly does keep us humble. It keeps us uh, very much understanding who you are and um, your greatness and your sufficiency, your authority, and um, your ruling overall is is uh, something that, that we are never going to ever achieve. That, Lord, it is... Uh, um, all about who you are and what you've done. And, uh, and Lord, it's about um, who we are and what we need, and that is you. And I pray, Lord, that you just be with each one of us tonight, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would teach us, give us something to think about, uh, give us something to contemplate um, throughout the, the remainder of our days to, to truly use it, Lord, in a way that would please you and honor you. Pray you'd be with me tonight. Just give me uh, the words to speak that this time would be glorifying unto you and all that we do. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I want us to turn first and foremost to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. Uh, John chapter 21 is obviously um, this last chapter of the gospel of John. Uh, we see the, the, uh, P, uh, Peter being addressed as far as, um, his denial and, uh, Christ obviously, uh, discussing his, uh, commission moving forward. We see Peter still having some issues with some of these things because he still sees John over there and he's like, well, you know, well, what's John going to do? And, and again, um, you know, Christ kind of answers, uh, what is it to thee? I mean, what, you know, seriously, what, what does it, what does that matter? Just do what I tell you to do regardless of anything else. But we get to the very last verse of this chapter, the very last verse of this book. And it says in verse 25, it says, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Now, you know, some people are going to think of this as more of a hyperbole saying, well, that, that's just not physically possible. That's this. But again, at the same time, if we were to understand everything that Christ did during his ministry, everything that he did while he was here, uh, the, the, I don't think we could exhaust the volume because we're talking about, uh, the discussions that would go on with God the Father, the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the spiritual things that went on behind the scenes, the physical things that happened. 
addressing each individual that had received some form of healing, addressing individuals that had received some sort of, uh, uh, if you will, encouragement and contact with Christ throughout that ministry. Uh, there is going to be a great deal of volume written about this. And again, we, we see that John's making this statement, and it's a rather bold statement, but it conveys one particular message that I think we as Christians need to understand. And that is this, is that we're not going to get the whole picture while we're here on earth. We're just not. Uh, you know, we, we often seek to control every area and every aspect of our life. And the fact is, is that we can't. This is physically impossible. Uh, have you ever seen somebody that is, um, I'll use it as a perfect example because, you know, my, my girls, you know, kind of discuss some of this, but in, and they see it in some of their friends and sometimes they get into these, uh, uh, you know, frenetic pace type mentalities. And, and it's like, could you imagine somebody that had to try to control every single thing that was going on in their life? You've got college students, and they're taking six classes, and they've got six projects that are done, and they're all due the same week, and they're trying to manage time, and they're trying to have time to eat and time to sleep, and then um, where where they're going to college, there's a mandatory chapel every single day, and there's mandatory church services, and there's extracurricular activities that are out there that there's an expectation that they attend. There's uh, other other you know biblical groups that are trying to encourage one another. There's friendships that they, that people are trying to develop and 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 continue. And it gets to a point of where you're you're trying to balance mental health, spiritual health, physical health. Uh, um, all of these things, and, and, and you can just see the frayed ends begin to come apart as they're desperately trying to hold everything together. And sometimes we as Christians, we get that way in our lives. And I use the example of, of, of a student because it, it, it's kind of an extreme one, but at the same time, we kind of do the same thing, trying to manage family life and work life and church life and and this and that, and we got to make sure we get the dog food, and got to make sure that we, uh, uh, you know, get groceries for everyone, and we got to make sure we take the car in for maintenance, and then we got to. It becomes to a point of where you just, if you sat down and thought about the volume of everything, you would be one of those people that needed mental help, mental you know, mental health help. But God makes it pretty clear to us that we are not going to know everything. And we shouldn't even really think that we're ever going to get to that point. I mean, here he is, he's discussing this, he's saying, you know, and even John's kind of giving a little bit of some doubt in, in, in his statement, saying, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books. Because again, we think about how God, God is a librarian, God is a bookkeeper. Uh, it's pretty clear. He's got books in heaven that we read about over and over and over and over and over and over again. I can't even begin to imagine what those books contain. But when you think about what's, what he's talking about here, he's saying, look, we're never going to get to the point of where we fully know everything that Christ did in his three and a half years of ministry here on this earth. We only are told what we are told. We're only going to know what God chooses to tell us. Let me give you an example. Let's take a look at two passages, and these are rather peculiar passages. Let's take a look first at the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 2. <clears throat> Now, in the first part of Matthew, you've you've got this um, uh, um, the genealogy. You've got all of this stuff going on with Joseph and Mary, and uh, you know angels visiting them, and stuff with Herod, and all of these things that are going on uh, with the birth of Christ, uh, wise men coming, uh, shepherds worshiping over there in the Book of Luke. You've got all of this stuff happening. But there's this very interesting verse, again, in verse 23 of chapter 2, the very last verse. God kind of tacks it on. 
You tax it on in such a way that it just kind of communicates this principle that we just saw over there with, with John. It says, and he came to dwell, or excuse me, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it was, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now, again, to clarify, what you have going on over there in the book of Numbers with the Nazarite vow has nothing to do with Nazareth and Nazarene. They're two separate, uh, uh, distinct separate words. One is a place and a, if you will, uh, um, uh, kind of a, a location identification. Um, you know, we say that, you know, if you live in Ridgefield, you're, you're, uh, a citizen of Ridgefield, you live in Washington, you're a Washingtonian. Uh, you know, this morning we saw that Nahum was the, um, Elkoshite, uh, and he was, uh, from that area and that region, uh, whether he was born there or whether that's where he was dwelling, regardless, he was, he was there and he was familiar with Assyria and he was familiar with Nineveh. But, but, but setting all of that aside, uh, we understand that that Nazarite, and the Nazarite vow and the things having to do with the grape and the hair and all of that have nothing to do with what is being what is being taught here. But what we find very particular is that there is this passage that Matthew references. Well, I shouldn't say passage, because you can't find this prophecy in Scripture. There is no reference to him being a Nazarene in the Old Testament. You can look all day long. You'll search and you'll search and you'll search and you will not find it. So does that mean that Matthew was incorrect? No. It means that there was something that was spoken by a prophet that we didn't get a chance to hear until Matthew brought it up. Till God revealed it to us. Now Matthew knew about it. How he knew about it, I have no idea. Was it some sort of book that had, because uh, we, we go over there and we, we, we see that the Bible references other books that are not included in the book of, uh, or in, in the Bible itself. There's a bunch of other books that are, that are, that are referenced, but they're, they're not part of the Bible. They were not preserved. God chose not to preserve those ones. He preserved these that we have here for us. And that is what we have for the word of God. But when we think about this, here's Matthew saying this, and he's saying uh, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. So one thing that we know is that this was some sort of, uh, if you will, verbal communication that has been passed on through generations that, 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 uh, um, that the Messiah was going to be called a Nazarene. Now, how... Matthew, who was a publican, a tax collector, knew about this, and the Pharisees didn't, disturbs me. Because if you think about this, the Pharisees and the scribes are supposed to know all of these things. As a matter of fact, one, at one point in time, the, the Pharisees point out and they say, well, we know you're not the Messiah because you, you, you're from Nazareth. And the Bible says that, 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 that our Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Well, where was Jesus Christ born? Bethlehem. Did they even bother to ask? No. They just made him an, assu- an assumption that that's where he was from, but that wasn't where he was actually born. But it's interesting to note here, that Matthew is, is is quoting something that we don't have any other record of. So at this point in time, we take a look at this verse, we, we begin to develop uh, an understanding that there are things that we have to take by faith in what God says. Matthew said that it was spoken by the prophets. We don't have any documentation and record of it. So what do we do? We believe what God has put down here in the book of Matthew. That it was a prophecy, and it has been fulfilled. Why? Because he was called Jesus of Nazareth. At one point in time, one of the disciples 
said, can any good come out of Nazareth? Because uh, to them, they just viewed it as a pit. It's like, it's like kind of how Seattle views Tacoma. They just don't, they, they don't see it the same way. They're like, you know, Tacoma is a little bit of a, of a lesser thing. I remember when moved up to that area, everybody was always talking about the Tacoma aroma. And if you've ever been to Tacoma and you get outside your car and you're like, oh, what does that smell? That's the Tacoma aroma. It's, it's, it's kind of there. Sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. It's kind of like Camas. You drive over to Camas and you, when the plant was running, the paper mill, and you're like, oh, but it's not running anymore. So that, 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 that scent is gone. But, but people viewed Nazareth the same way that other people view in a lesser form the cities that we have here in the United States. There's some cities that people were like, oh, hey, yeah, I'm going to go move to Chicago. Ah, really? I'm going to go move to San Francisco. No, no, thank you. You know, we have an understanding that those cities are, are, are not favorable. The same was with Nazareth. But here, very clearly, is calling him a Nazarene, identifying with that area. Why? Because that's where they decided to dwell. That's where they decided to grow up. He wasn't going back to Judea, as he was warned not to go back there. He takes up residence somewhere else. Joseph does. Take a look over at the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20. This is another passage that uh, um, is, is very interesting to, to kind of point out. <clears throat> Here's Paul, and Paul is having this uh, discussion and um, talking about... Uh, um, uh, what's going to happen as he leaves Ephesus and, um, he's, he's, uh, parting is very cheerful. He's, uh, um, uh, you know, it's a very sorrowful time as he's leaving them. Uh, they cared for him very much, but in the process of him giving them warnings and telling them about certain things, jump down here to verse 35. It says, I have showed you all things. And when he talks about all things, he's talking about all the things that he knows. He showed them all things. How the, uh, so laboring, he ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And it's a powerful verse because, you know, here we're, we're, we're talking about the forms of ministry, and he's saying, uh, you know, one of the, the th- key things that Christians as a ministry need to understand is we are there to help the weak. We're there to help the weak. It's, it's, it's a Galatians 6 mentality. It's stuff that you see over in the book of James. It's, uh, it, it, it's, it's seen throughout the book of Romans. And, and, and when we begin to understand it, you know, that, that, that being a ministry, that we are to people, you know, to be a people that are, are comforting the feeble-minded, that we're supporting the weak, that we're, we're, we're helping others grow, not tearing them down, not destroying them, not throwing stumbling blocks in front of them. But to give them a very clear help in their Christian life. But that phrase that he quotes, that Jesus Christ said, it is more blessed to give then to receive, again, you're going to be hard-pressed to find that in the Gospels. You're not going to find it. You might find something similar, but not that. Well, does that mean that Jesus Christ didn't say it? Somebody's going to say, well, it's in red in my Bible, so it's obviously got to be... (laughs) Uh, if, If Paul said... That Christ said it, that settles it. We believe that by faith. Well, when did he say it and in what context? Obviously, God said, you don't need to know that. You just need to know the principle. 
You just need to know what is there. I remember, you know, when I was younger, I wanted to know a lot of stuff. And and I had filled my mind with a plethora of worthless knowledge. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you. I, I can ramble on for days about things, and she just kind of gets this glazed look in her eye. And, and she's like, what were you saying? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I can ramble on about all sorts of other stuff. But the one thing that, that, that I desired to know was I tried to desire to know how much about, you know, scripture can I understand? And it becomes an impossible task almost. Because as I endeavor to know more about God, the more I search out God, the more I find out about God. The more I find out about God, the more I find out he 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 is beyond searching out in my human frame. I I I can't get to the point of where I'm going to know everything about God and everything about the Bible. But there are people that run around acting like that and saying things like that. They will teach that they know everything about the Bible and they become some uh, a great uh, uh, Bible scripture rebuker and and so on and so forth and. And I've had people come up to me and say stuff uh, that, that's just like, well, you know, I know more about this and this and this and this. And, uh, and, and it's like, okay, that's great. But that doesn't mean anything. And, and, and Paul's not trying to lord this over anybody that he knew that this was what was said. He's just simply saying this is what was said. Now, and again, to, to me, at some point in time, I mean, you start looking at the timeline of Paul. Paul was alive when Jesus Christ was here on earth. Paul was a young man when Jesus Christ was here on earth. He was in Jerusalem when Jesus Christ was here on earth and crucified. It's not that many years that you see from when when uh, everything happens in the end of the Gospels to go through the first few chapters of the book of Acts and you find people being persecuted and Stephen being stoned in chapter 7 and that's where you see Paul showing up as somebody that was consenting under the death of Stephen holding the coats watching the thing happen. Short time later, you find him actively persecuting the church. And it's very clear that when he received it, to, uh, uh, whether it was something he heard when Jesus Christ was here on earth, and he was, you know, still in that Pharisaical mentality, whether it was something that was revealed to him when God uh, um, gave him that revelation and took him aside and taught him for three years, these things, regardless of whenever it was said, we know that Christ said it. But we don't know where, when, why, what context. So God limits what we know. God limits what we know. Go over to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. <clears throat> Uh, Bob and I were talking a little bit about this before service and talking about you, you, you get some of these uh, Old Testament prophets and they're seeing stuff and they've just got like, I have no idea what that was. E e Ezekiel. I, probably one of the weirdest ministries that has ever existed was Ezekiel's. And he's out there and he's doing all these things and he's seeing things that other people have never seen before in their entire life. And and how do you communicate that? How do you talk about that? Like I was talking about the other day. Uh, how in the world do you describe a cherubim? You know, you can describe it according to what it is in 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 uh, over there in the book of Ezekiel and over there in the in Revelations uh, or Re Revelation, but. Does that mean we still really even know what that is? 
could you draw that if you had to? If you were, if you were a great artist? And, and there's several people that, that do that. There's several people that, that, that will actually try to, or attempt to, to, to write these things, or not write these things, but draw these things, and, and paint them, or, or whatever, and, and I, I still think that at some point in time, they realize how bad they're failing at it. Hey, how in the world do you describe a seraphim? Which is the other creature that's there. The eyes everywhere? All over it? That's just odd. I mean, I, I couldn't even imagine, it. you know, I, 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 I'm not a great artist or, you know, I don't draw well. Um, I don't, um, uh, you know, I'm not quite like that. I don't paint real well. I, I, I do like to try to sculpt. That was something that I enjoyed doing when I was younger. And I sat down one day and I thought, okay, well, if I was to sculpt what a seraphim would look like, I think it would probably terrify the entire college class. And be like, what creature is that? Because it's so, so unique. Nothing like we've ever seen. But what we find here is in Daniel, Daniel's been told some pretty heavy stuff. He's been told all of these things and, 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 and I want us to go down here. Let's just start with, with verse one. It says, and at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And here it is calling Michael the prince uh, of, of Israel. It's not Jesus Christ. Michael and Jesus Christ are not one and the same. And it says, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there were, since there was a nation even to that same time. At that time, they people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. Okay, so, so we understand that, and we're bringing up a subject of another book. But he's talking about this tribulation time. He's talking about how bad it's going to get. How bad it's going to get. And it says, and, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. It's talking about the great white throne judgment that is talked about over there in Revelation. And it says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased." The Lord just told Daniel, I want you to take that book and I want you to close it and let's just not talk about it. Okay, Daniel just saw a lot of weird stuff. I'd be really tempted to sit down with the Lord and go, okay, can you go over this one more time? But look at what happens in verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood another two, the sun, or excuse me, the one on the one side of the bank of the river and the other on the other side of the bank of the river. And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, and we held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, it shall be for a time, times, and and half, and when and when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of uh, the holy people, all these things shall be finished. In verse eight, it says, "I heard, but I understood not." You ever have somebody try to explain something to you, and you just look at them like, "What? I I don't get it." Then said I. Oh my Lord, what shall the uh, what shall be the end of these things? And it says, and he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the end uh, till the time of the end. He asked for clarification, and what did God say? Not now. Not now. You know. <clears throat> I've talked about this before. Trying to describe heaven in our finite mind, we're going to fail. We can't even begin to 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 to, to try to formulate something. 
I mean, we see some some glimpses of what's in heaven and what heaven's like, and and, and a few things of that nature. But that, but does that fully describe it? Does that fully describe what's up there? Again, how how in the world do you do you wrestle with the concept? In my house, there are many mansions. How do you wrestle with that one? Some people might say, well, it's kind of like, you know, the house of Israel. It's a larger house. It's the house of God. So in God's house. Okay. But still, can you imagine the concept of how many people have been trust, have trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior and how many mansions there are going to be? And a mansion isn't just a small home, by the way. How big is heaven? You ever wonder about that one? Now that one you, you see on that one a little while, and eventually your brain just just shuts down because <laughs> you can't you can't even fathom that. You can't even fathom that. But what we see here is, as Daniel is told, I know you don't understand. I know you heard what you heard, but right now you're just going to close it up, and you're done. You're done. So when we see this, we begin to understand that God is going to reveal things to us as we need it, when we need it, and sometimes it's not going to be revealed until much later. These things that were written in the book of Daniel that weren't clarified, we look at them now and we go, oh, okay, so we can go through all of that stuff that we see and we can start lining up some of those beasts that we were talking about the other day and, and we can line up what this guy is saying here or that time, times and, and, and a half talking about three and a half years, uh, um, in, in that phrase that we see in this passage. Uh, we understand those things now and we, we have that, if you will, uh, um, given to us now. But again, for us to sit there and say we know exactly everything that's going to happen in the tribulation period is is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Turn to, to Revelation chapter 4, or excuse me, chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. And I say all of this because we have to come to this, if you will, understanding that we are not going to get every single piece of knowledge here on earth. We're not going to be given all knowledge. We're going to be given what we need. What we need. Have you ever tried to train somebody and you know that you can only go so far in the training material because if you start training them anymore, their mind is going to short circuit? Sometimes it happens with children. When you're, when you're teaching children, you know that there's only so far that you can go in the teaching process before their their little minds go, I don't understand anymore. I don't get it. So what we see here is, is that God, God is capable of giving us knowledge. He's capable of giving us knowledge in his word. Uh, when we take a look around and we can explore what God has created, it reveals him. The more you look at it from a Christian's perspective, the more that you begin to realize how in-depth and complicated God has made things, and yet at the same time has made them so simple and so visible that it reveals him and his Godhead, as it says over in the book of Romans. But again, we're not going to understand all of that. Romans, or Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. And, uh, and we see here in verse 1, it says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open. There's another book. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the earth and with a loud voice and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. This is a very interesting angel that he's seeing here. Uh, And and I'd love to get into the detail of who this is, but we're going to skip past that for the purpose of not right now. <laughs> but 
But in verse, uh, but in, in verse, um, uh, verse four, it says, and when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. This is John getting ready to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered and write them not. Now I want you to think about that for a second. John is getting ready to write these things down about what's going on. And God says, no. Don't. Now, where are those seven thunders utterances found? Going to be hard pressed to find them. Some people like to consider themselves students of the book of Revelation and students of the tribulation period. And they know exactly when the Antichrist is going to come and they know exactly who he's going to be and they know exactly, uh, uh, you know, who the false prophet is and they know exactly what all the references are and they can line it all out and they can chart it in their sleep and they can do all those things and, and they, they can try to typology. I'm saying this very facetiously in case you didn't understand that. With a great deal of, I don't want to say sarcasm, but you know, I, I say it in such a manner that they're really not. And they think that they understand everything about the tribulation and what's going to happen and what's going to occur. Well, right here, he just said, we will not know what those things said. Were they talking about judgment? What are these seven thunders uttering? What is it that they're, they're, they're saying? Why did, why was John told not to write it down? Does that mean there's something that's going to happen during the tribulation period that not even we know, but that only the people that go through it will know? Yeah. As I've said about this book, this book is written past, present, and future. There's a lot of great historical things that are there. There's a lot of great things that we can apply to us right now. Even though it's it, it's been collated and written many, many, many years ago. But also at the same time, it, 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 it supersedes any boundary of time that has been set by man because now he begins to talk about things that are going to happen and occur in a future event. The book of Revelation hasn't happened. You get the people that run around calling themselves all millennialists and the all millennialist does, says, well, there is no rapture. And the reason there is no rapture, because we're living in the kingdom of heaven right now, and Christ is ruling and reigning. Really? I've got a few questions. <laughs> I've got a few, 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 few concerns about that. That's not the case. That's not the case. Jesus Christ is going to physically reign in Jerusalem on a throne in a physical city, here on the physical earth, over physical people. And people will say, oh no, the book of Revelation all happened in a spiritual sense. Okay, then you want to explain the seven thunders? They can't. They can't. Why? Because they were written and sealed up Nobody knows what they say. John knows, but John's not been with us for a couple of years now. He's passed on. And when we look at this, we begin to understand there's a concept. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. <clears throat> Why is it that God doesn't tell us everything? Why is it that when we trust Christ as our Savior, automatically we don't get all knowledge? <laughs> yeah, there, there would be several fine red mists lying about. Um, there would be some problems. 
Um, but but here, here here's the biggest issue. In our human form, we have a problem with knowledge. I just want to, you know, remind us all that the devil knows exactly what's going to happen. The devil knew exactly what was going to happen when he made his choices. He had a lot of knowledge. But something happened in his heart. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and verse 1, it says, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we have, we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up. Charity edifieth. There's a, there's a lot of doctrine in this verse. But the one that I want to focus on are those three words where it says, uh, knowledge puffeth up. Knowledge puffeth up. You ever seen a teenager? You ever seen a teenager when they get their license? You ever seen a teenager after they've been driving about three months on their own? You ever seen a teenager when they get their first job? And maybe they take their first class in college? All of a sudden... They have been God, become God's gift to all knowledge in the world. They now know everything. Somehow, you know, magically it occurred that in, 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 in that age between, uh, about 13 to about 21, they have now become this repository for everything. They are, they're like the encyclopedia of the world. They're Wikipedia. Because they can learn everything on a YouTube channel. They can learn anything. They can do everything. They, they, they There's no boundaries. They're unrestricted. They're unfettered. And now they've got everything. And they're like, oh, hey, you know what? I, I saw on this YouTube channel that I can do this. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, I'm sure you did. But here's the problem. People that have actually done it and lived it, all of a sudden that, 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 that knowledge is no longer important. That experience is no longer important. By the way, that was the downfall of the Greek empire. The Greeks took and they elevated the youth. They put the youth in charge of the government. They put the youth in charge of the military. They said the old men, they can go be philosophers and discuss and think and talk all they want. But when it comes to how things are going to be done, the youth are the ones with the innovation and they will run the country and they will do it right. Doesn't work that way. They did that and Rome just walked in the front door. We do that today. Now, I understand, let no man despise thy youth. But Paul's talking about something else. And by the way, when, when, when Paul's talking to Timothy over there, Timothy isn't a teenager and he's not in his twenties. He, he, he's still younger than Paul, but he's still somewhat aged. He's up there. He's, he, he, he's, he's not some young little whippersnapper. But what we realize and what we understand is, is that this knowledge that is given to us, sometimes we take that knowledge and all of a sudden we run with it and we think that we know everything. But the fact is, is we know nothing. The reason that God does this is, is to provide us with a form of voluntary humility. Because what we have to do is we have to admit I don't know. I don't know. I like discussing uh, relativity and quantum mechanics and stuff like that with Bob. Um, 
Bob kind of has a better understanding of it than I do. That's why I, I want to get a little bit more information from him about it. But I enjoy talking about it. But 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 at the same time, you know, Bob's probably, you know, and has said, I don't know, on certain things. Why? Because, well, Bob doesn't have all knowledge. Do you, Bob? Yeah, no, not even close. <laughs> Do I have all knowledge? No, I'm not even, I wouldn't even dare go there. Because we know that that's an elevation of self. When we start talking about puffing up, we have to be very careful about what we learn. We have to be very careful about what we receive. We have to be very careful about where the knowledge comes from. I, I, I've seen individuals do things and discuss things um, where they won't listen to a pastor who has dutifully studied and shown things from, uh, from scripture and shown in, in a way that it shows very clearly the things of God and what, what is God's will. Uh, um, it, it just, it, it's open. It's right there. And he's done the teaching. And then that person will turn around and, and, and come from the congregation and they will move and they'll say, well, you know what? I, I'm not sure I believe that, Pastor, because I saw on a TikTok video that somebody said, uh, that's not the case. And the problem is, is nobody wants to learn anymore. Nobody wants knowledge anymore. What they want is they want a, 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 a brief headline to summarize what uh, they're to be told what to think. Turn over the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. <clears throat> In Colossians chapter 2, and, and we'll be done here with this. <clears throat> it says in verse 18, it says, Let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility and the worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. You ever meet the guy or girl or person that seems to suddenly know everything about the spirit world? Every angel that's ever been named. And they can identify all of them and they can go through and they, they, they have some great, you know, insight into what the spirit world contains. I'll tell you this. Be careful. God has that spirit world hidden from us for a reason. It's not something to mess with. I'm not talking about spiritual things from the Word of God, from the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about messing with angels and demons and devils and principalities and powers that in moment in time, they can just instantly just take you out. I'm talking about that stuff. And people go out there and they'll create all of these things and people will listen to that and they will follow after that and they will just want to know more about that, but they will not want to know more about who God is. They will not want to know more about the will of God. They will not want to know more about the work of Christ. They will not want to know more about the duties and the obligations of the Holy Spirit to us and what he does for us, himself obligating to do that, to teach us, to guide us, to comfort us. They will want to know more about that. And I see this uh, this individual here talking about intruding on those things which he hath not seen vainly puffed up, puffed up by the, his fleshly mind. He's never seen it. That's like somebody trying to describe combat that's never been through it. You can't do it. And what we find here is we find this in per, this person is intruding in an area that's not his. And I like that word intruding. Because what God tells us is what we are allowed to see. The things that we do not see, the things that we are not given, we're intruding on God's territory. We're putting ourselves in a position we ought not be in. 
Because again, it comes down to puffing up the mind. What was the promise that the serpent made to Eve? You'll become gods. You'll have knowledge. God doesn't want you to have this. God doesn't want you to know this. You know how amazing it would be to have no knowledge of sin or evil? Think about that just for a minute. No knowledge of evil or sin never even entered into your heart or your mind. And the devil tricks Eve into thinking she needs to know that. You know, there's stuff about sin that I really wish I didn't know. There's some sick stuff out there in the world. There's some real serious mental derangement in this, in this pursuit of sin. I've met some really, really disturbed individuals. No moral compass. I don't want to say necessarily it's the case, but it almost seemed like they were soulless. And it's because they were intruding on things that they weren't supposed to be intruding on. So when it comes to what God teaches us and what God tells us, we are given a limited amount of knowledge. And that limited amount of knowledge is for a reason. It keeps us humble. It keeps us dependent. God never made mankind to be independent. God made mankind to be wholly dependent on the Lord. We're wholly dependent on the Lord for salvation. We're wholly dependent on the Lord to hold us together, to give us breath, to give us life, to keep our heart beating. We're wholly dependent on the Lord to give us provisions. We're wholly dependent on the Lord to, to, to give us everything that we need. Why do you think that Jesus Christ taught the disciples to pray the way that they did? Give us this day our daily bread. Dependency upon God was being taught. So when we realize that we don't know everything, and we're not going to know everything, or we come to a subject that we're never going to fully understand, there's something that is written up or written and sealed up, or something that is, is hidden for us for this moment in time, or whatever it may be, we have to take that in humility and go, God, I'm going to trust you and I'll wait till you reveal it to me. I will wait till you teach it to me. I will wait till you give me that knowledge. And some of it may not be until we're on the other side of glory. A lot of it. A lot of it. Think about what we know in this, in this lifetime now. We're going to know a lot more on the other side. A lot more on the other side. It's going to be in heaven. We'll have the knowledge of that just for starters. Just for starters. Again, this is just kind of a very casual, simple thing. A couple of verses that we can take a look at. Proving a, to, to us a, a key important principle. We need to remain humble. We need to remain that way. God has given us the tools of humility in our life. Limited knowledge. Limited knowledge. It's an important concept for us to understand. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Mike Perry, would you dismiss us in a word of prayer tonight?